Amen, amen indeed, and welcome to Harvest. My name is Dan Hammer. I have the privilege of being the senior pastor here, and we are here to do one thing today and every day, and that is to magnify the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And whether you're joining us here in person or you are online, you are our, our family, and we're so thankful that you are here, and we're excited to see what God would have for us here. It's all about Jesus. And uh, we're going to be in Titus today. We're going to conclude our series in Titus called Build Your Church. It's a cry of our hearts. It's the pursuit of our life as we seek to honor and glorify the one who gave his life for us so that we might have eternal life with him. Jesus is working powerfully here. Um, and I don't know if you can see it or sense it, but he is. Amen. Praise God. And um, it's just, I see it in the fabric, every fabric of the being of the church. And it's one of the more poignant times, honestly, in the history of the church that God is moving uh, distinctly and just super thankful for that. And, and he's going to continue and um, just super thankful for you guys as we seek to worship God in every way. And I want to give you a quick update on, on something we talked about a month ago. Thank you so much for your, your faithfulness. Everything we do with worship is a response to God and giving back to God of what he has given to us. But we let you know we were running behind a budget about a month ago. Um, we're still running behind. We've made up some ground. Thank you for your faithfulness. But if you would continue to pray with us, we're about $10,000 under the budget so far, a couple months in. Uh, God has continued to provide. But if you would pray and see if God would have you do something. And if this is your first time here, we're not asking you to give. Uh, we're your, your presence is a gift enough, but if you consider Harvest your home, whether in person or online, would you really pray about what God might have you do and partner with us to see God continue to move? He's going to provide. He's provided over eight years, um, and he's going to do it again, and we're in a good spot overall. Uh, thank God for that, but just continuing, we really want to advance the mission of God, and the, the mission of God takes the resources of God, amen, and so praise God that we have the opportunity to steward that, but as we get going here in Titus, and we're going to be in Titus chapter three, if you want to get a head start, survey question here. If you, if you you had a soundtrack for your life, maybe it's a movie, maybe it's a musical, uh, and maybe it's a theme from a TV show, what would, it, what would it be? And Tyler, why is yours Backstreet's Back by Backstreet Boys? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, my kids rock out all the time to The Greatest Showman in the car and Hamilton. My son Isaiah does a mean King George um, impression, if you want to ask him about that. Uh, but for me, um, the soundtrack in a lot of ways to my life is, you'll see it on the screen behind me, is the soundtrack to the Rocky movies. Um, and um, uh, my dad and I would rock out to this literally and figuratively in the car on long road trips um, when I was growing up. Um, and it was really, I just relate so much to uh, Rocky. Um, he's an underdog. He, you know, he's got nothing to lose. He's not pretty. He's not elaborate, but he's devoted. He's devoted to the mission. Um, he's going to fight hard, and he's going to fight for those that, that, that are around him. There's no quit. There's no belief in one of the... I love this soundtrack because a lot of it is the music from the training montage. It's if you're not familiar with Rocky, it's from the 80s and the 90s. I know before some of your time. Um, but just seeing Rocky run these, these training montages, whether he's chugging raw eggs and going to punch frozen meat, and whether he's running up this, the... the, the, uh, the the steps of the Philadelphia Art Museum and seeing Adrian, right? Or whether he's in uh, on the beach with Apollo, whether he's in Russia in the frozen tundra, literally jogging with logs. You just had this, you know, this beat going. And um, anytime I the Tiger comes on, it gets me go. I, I start moving. Let's go. 
this is my go-to track and on a walk, listening on a Walkman on the back of a bus, the front of the bus, wherever I was going to play athletic games. You could have had, world, the world could have been ending around me, but I was locked in and I was ready to go, ready to compete, ready to be devoted, ready to give my all for the brothers that were beside me and to accomplish the mission that was before me. Um, and as we're going to see today, that is the, the essence that Paul is communicating to us in Titus chapter 3. In the same way that Rocky was devoted to being disciplined and focused on faithful training to accomplish his mission of winning a boxing match and a boxing fight, Paul is exhorting us yet again today to be devoted to the mission that God has laid before us, to do the good works of God for the glory of God, to build the church of God so that others might come to know personally God and so that we can grow in the process of becoming more like God, all accomplished through the strength of God. Being willing to lay it all on the line as we remember who we represent and give our lives to accomplishing not our purposes, but his. And over time, his purposes become our purposes. As we culminate our, our, the Build Your Church series, and as that, but that theme will continue this ministry year as the book of Titus, we see that every single one of us, Paul is going to exhort us today in his writing, has a significant role to play in the building of God's church. And that committing our lives to this is excellent, as Paul is going to lay out for the text today, and it is profitable. Who, who literally wants you, your life to matter for something bigger than yourself? I know I do. Today, Paul is going to lay out the blueprint for how to make that happen. Deep down, we all do, whether you admit it or not. And today, Paul is going to show us how to. The question today is, will you choose to? Will you choose to live devoted to the work of God and the mission of God? Here's a big idea you'll see on the screen and you'll see it on the, in the, on the notes before you is, I am saved by God's grace personally. We looked at that last week and it's going to carry over into this week to display God's grace faithfully. I am saved by God's grace personally to display God's grace faithfully. Friends, God's grace is here today to save us. God's grace is here today to strengthen us. It's here to sanctify us. It's here to send us. And it's here to continue to show, the, uh, show us his power and beauty as we show his message and share his message to the world that is around us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for the beauty of your word. I thank you for the beauty of this text. I thank you for the beauty of this letter. Father, I just pray that you would move in a way that that I believe that you firmly want to today. Holy Spirit, I just pray that I would get out of the way, that you would silence me and that your words would flow. God, that you would build in our hearts a a just greater desire uh, to become more like you as as an overflow of just, just dwelling and sitting and Um, just the beauty of you. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do what you promised to do in your word. God, that you would just convict us and encourage us, compel us and exhort us. Strengthen us now. We need you, God. Do the life-changing and transforming work that you want to. In your name we pray. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Titus chapter 3. We're going to culminate the the passage of the, Paul, the letter that Paul writes in, in chapter 3, verses 8. We're going to start at 8. I know we concluded at 8 last week. We're going to start there today and go through the end of the chapter in verse 15. This is the Apostle Paul writing as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. He says this to Titus and to us. The saying is trustworthy, verse 8. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. 
but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and they are worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I sent Artemis of Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. For I have decided to spend the winter there and do your best to speed Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way and see that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and to not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. So again, Paul is concluding his his letter to his spiritual son, his disciple, his protege, his young pastor, Titus, who is stationed on an island of Crete, pastoring there. Paul is exhorting him of how the blueprint of how Jesus desires to build his church so that Titus might put what is left into order, as he said in chapter one, to build the church of God, to stand against the hostility of the world, to disciple the the believers in God so that they can withstand the attacks of those around them, to live a life of worship as the disciples. This, This letter is really about what does it mean to be a disciple of the Lord, a maturing disciple, here at Harvest, we, we, being a disciple is our primary goal. As an overflow of being a worshiper, we are called to make disciples and be disciples. We talk about at Harvest, what is a maturing disciple? We describe it this way. A maturing disciple is one who daily walks with Christ, worships Christ, and works for Christ. Our walk and our work flow out of our worship. Worship is by definition attributing worth. It's saying Jesus Christ is above all. We, we read those beautiful verses last week, and verse 8 ties right back into that, about who Jesus is as he came and he, he died on the cross to save us and to justify us. And out of an overflow of a heart of worship, worship just isn't an hour, hour and a half on a Sunday morning or when you go to small group. Worship is a 24-7 posture of your heart because out of the, uh, the posture of your heart propels the priorities and the pursuits of your life. So if my posture is a heart of surrender and that Jesus is God, I desire him to work for him and walk with him in every aspect of my life. True ad- a, true, a life of true adoration is demonstrated in, a, in daily devotion, godly devotion. Because here's the reality. Whether you realize it or not, we're all devoted to something this morning, right? You're like, I'm not th- I can't think of anything I'm devoted to. It actually takes a whole lot of devotion to sit around and do nothing, right? Yeah. It really does. I'm devoted to doing nothing, okay? But you're still devoted. I'm devoted to not getting out of bed, or I'm devoted to my job, and I'm devoted to working 80 hours a week this week. I'm devoted to becoming the best athlete, the best musician, I'm devoted to becoming the best professional lawyer. I'm devoted to becoming the best student, the 4.0 GPA. I'm devoted to getting into the right college. And devotion takes discipline. And it flows out of desire. Because what I consider worth it, I will sacrifice for. I will give to. I will make time for. I will say no to other things. So I say yes to the thing that captivates my heart. Right? It's not that I don't have money to give. It's that I choose not to give. Because other things captivate me and I use my finances on other things before giving to God. It's not that I don't have time to serve, it's that I take my time and use it other ways. It's a worship issue, right? Paul is going to teach us today that there are many things that can distract us from Jesus Christ. So our question is, where have we gotten distracted from Jesus Christ? The mission, 
the purpose to spend our time on things that will not last for eternity, that we cannot take with us when we pass. And until, unless Jesus comes back, all of us have an expiration date. Today, friends, are you pursuing godliness or worldliness? Are you devoting your life to godliness or worldliness? That is the question that is at the epicenter of this text and this book. And ultimately at the epicenter of the Bible. Who do you believe and what are you giving your life for? Building God's kingdom or are you building your kingdom? What are you pursuing? Devotion is loyalty. When you look it up definitionally, it's loyalty, it's faithfulness, it's sacrifice, it's dedication, it's commitment. You want a car, you'll save up for a car. You're disciplined. If you want to be in the Olympics, you'll say no to snack foods, most of them anyway, right? You'll get up and train. You'll learn the manual. You'll learn the rules. You'll give your life to voluntarily submitting. No one's making you go to the Olympics, but you voluntarily submit and surrender because you desire it. You want it. So as we look at verse 8, we go, what are we called to dedicate our life to? What really matters? What can I hold on to? And verse 8 says, Paul says this. He says, the saying is trustworthy. What can I take to the bank? What can I anchor in? Well, what is the saying? The saying that he's referring to is what came before, the reality that we are far off from God, but then God makes us his sons and daughters by sending Jesus Christ to die for us, that we were disobedient and foolish and led astray. But God demonstrated his grace and mercy by sending Jesus who appeared to save us and the Holy Spirit then regenerates us, renews us, and takes us from hostile to holy, from forsaken to family, makes us co-heirs with Jesus Christ. The text says it makes us heirs and it gives in us a yearning, verse six and seven, right before this, that we can have the hope of eternal life, that our hope is no longer anchored in earthly things or the corner office or the governor's mansion or the White House. It's anchored in the eternal King of Kings, Jesus Christ. That's trustworthy and insist on these things. So that's our why, and now Paul transitions into our what. He's saying, for those who have believed, and so the most important question of the day, we talked about it extensively last week, is do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because if you do, that becomes your why. The old is gone, the new has come. That's our why, and now he flows into the what. For those who have believed in God, they may, they teach them, insist that they may be careful to devote themselves to the good works. He says that in verse 8. He circles it back to it in verse 14. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. So the phrase devote themselves to good works is twice in these short verses. It is the theme of good works is six times in the 46 verses of Titus. To sum up, thumbs down. Is it important? Yeah. He's hammering this point home. He's like, in case you forgot, be devoted to good works, not just for the good works sake, but as a heart of worship overflowing from what God has done for us because this is what a disciple does. We talked last week about who a disciple is in Christ. Now, this is what a disciple does. Will you do that? The what flows out of the why. Because here's a really important reality that I pray you do not miss and that you do not walk out of with and that you grasp it right now, that don't miss it, grasp it. That our identity does not flow out of what we do, but out of what Jesus has already done. 
We are not working for our identity. We are working from our identity in Christ. We are saved by grace through faith alone, not through works, but read all of Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. We then have a role and responsibility as those who have been redeemed and regenerated to work out the works that God has planned for us before the beginning of time so that we can display his workmanship to a world that desperately needs it, amen? That's our calling, and that's what this text is reiterating over and over. Works don't save you, but they are the mark of one who has been saved. And what are good works? They are the gospel works. They read this whole letter and, and making your, committing your life to making disciples, to standing on the word of God, to allowing the, the grace of God to transform us, to be self-disciplined, self-controlled, holy, upright. We can't do any of that alone. Grace is a, one of the central themes of this book in our lives. Again, chapter two, verse 11, the grace of God appeared to save us. And now we see the grace of God strengthening us. Because verse 15 says that the grace is with us. Every step of the way that God's grace is with us so that we can accomplish the work that God has for us. I can't do this on my own, amen? God's grace fuels God's mission. We need the strength of God to be devoted to the work of God. Now again, the the main clause of this section that we're focusing on today is found right here in verse eight. Devote themselves to the good works. Everything else flows out of that. So it's a choice for us to make on a daily basis. And here's what we're going to define godly devotion for today. You'll see it on the screen. Godly devotion is wholeheartedly delighting in God that leads to a life committed to daily worshiping, walking with and working for God in such a way that it intentionally helps build the church of God for the glory of God. It's a heart of worship and and that we're committed to this out of the delight. When I find God as my delight, I will be devoted to him. So the question is, what does that mean? Paul's going to present two decisions that devoted may, every devoted disciple of the Lord makes in this text, and I pray that we would anchor in them. The first decision of the devoted is this, I will avoid distractions from Christ. These are heart choices that overflow into to life habits. These are decisions of my heart that impact how I spend my money. How do I utilize my time, where I give my talent, what I sacrifice for, who I talk to? Because friends, it's easy to get distracted. Oh wait, there's a squirrel, right? Did in life. And Satan, if he can't destroy us, and he's trying to destroy us, he will try to, if he can't do that, he will distract us, right? And often he will use good things to distract us from God's thing. Distractions can be bad things. It can be hard things. You can blow a tire, right? You can have financial struggle. You can get fired. You can be all these things, and they're, they're distractions. But also another bucket of distractions is good things. Family, kids, work, relationships, sports, hobbies. None in and of themselves bad, but when they became a ruling thing, they become an idolatrous thing. When they replace Jesus as number one in your heart, you're distracted from the main mission of God. And more than that, you're worshiping an idol that will take your heart far away from God. No one and nothing should sit on the throne of our hearts except for Jesus Christ. Where are you allowing anything else to be the top priority in your life? That's a distraction from God, from Christ. He lays out two distinct distractions. We don't have time to go into the litany of distractions, right? There's a mountain full of them. 
But in this text, he lays out in the next few verses two distinct ones. The first distraction that Paul's laid out that he exhorts us very strongly is this. Foolish debates. Can I tell you that before we jump in there, that one of the greatest distractions that Satan uses is busyness in life, right? As we enter into the holiday season, I want to encourage us to, make, to manage our schedule, to steward our schedule in such a way that we're not missing out on what God wants from us because we've allowed what the world demands of us to become the priority to us. But the distraction, the first distraction that Paul lays out in this text that can so easily drive us from crisis, foolish debates right here in verse nine, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the what? The law, doctrine, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Now notice the juxtaposition in verses eight and nine, the comparison. When you are devoted to good works, it is excellent and profitable. When you are caught up in foolish controversies, genealogies, arguments about doctrine, it is what? Unprofitable and worthless. Back-to-back verses. Paul is saying, don't be so busy debating the word of God frivolously that you neglect to do the work of God faithfully. Now, we are called to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word, right? This doesn't mean don't go deep. Of course, we want to study. We want to grow. It doesn't mean don't have conversations. Don't wrestle with friends. Don't avoid hard issues, difficult topics. This is one of the reasons why we're doing Got Questions, 8.15 to 9.15 Sunday mornings. We'd love to see you there. We're going to talk about baptism next week. Talk about communion next week. What does that mean? We don't avoid these things, but we don't get so caught up in them that it's like a dog chasing a tail and all of a sudden we are not accomplishing the work that God has for us. The debates here in Crete that Paul is referring to were often brought up by Judaizers who taught the false doctrine of Jesus plus theology. And they're debating for Jesus is great, but you also need to be circumcised. Jesus is a cool guy, but you also, you also need to maintain these dietary restrictions. Friends, the most important math equation you all ever hear in your entire life is this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. He is, he, he is sufficient. Don't get distracted from that essential equation in your salvation. Now, we want to continue to grow in truth. The Holy Spirit will lead us into truth. All of us are on a lifelong journey of sanctification that we are increasing in our knowledge of God and our awareness of God. But modern foolish debates, modern foolish today in today's day and age, controversies, genealogies might center around, often center around theological minutia, secondary and tertiary theological issues that keep us from, uh, that, that distract us from the mission. Man, it's okay. It's awesome to have different points of view. Many of us in this room have very different points of view, potentially on some secondary and tertiary issues, but we're united on the primary salvific issues. We need to maintain unity as we anchor in the essentials, but have grace and charity in the non-essentials and have love in it all, right? St. Augustine said something about that. Do you find yourself today more spending more of your time debating God's sovereignty and, and versus man's responsibility? 
debating end time theology, creationism, infant versus believers, baptism, other doctrinal issues, and you do actually living out the gospel in your life. Again, we are to grow in the Lord, grow anchor deeper, but what are you spending your time really doing? Paul's like, we have a mission to do. Because doctrine at its core is a means to an end. Doctrine is a means to becoming more like Jesus Christ, right? It's to make us more like Jesus so that we can live it out more like Jesus. It is not an end in and of itself. So yes, we need to be praying about saying, God, what would you have us do? And man, we need to, uh, through leadership of the Holy Spirit, and we wrestle through, we do this as an elder team, we do this as a staff team, because at the end of the day, we have to take some positions somewhere on theological issues, right? Because positions drive policies about what we do and how we do it. But we need to hold it, some of them very loosely in a way, and go, look, our sister church over there does it differently, and we're all going to celebrate Jesus together forever and eternity. Praise God, amen, right? But when we need to anchor in the salvation issues that I will not let go. Somebody used this term recently and I love theological triage, right? Know what is essential. Know what is important, but not essential. And know what is like, okay. <laughs> you know, yeah, we, we can talk about that, but we have more important things to get on. I, a prime example in my life is, is I've, my in-laws are amazing people, but my father-in-law is a long, long time, long time, of 20 plus year elder at a PCA church, Presbyterian Church of America. They have a different point of view on baptism. They have a different church government structure, but man, I've learned so much from him and he's taught me so much about Jesus, praise God. And we will spend together, eternity together forever in heaven. And I go to him, I ask him, it doesn't mean we have to agree on everything or have the same interpretation of everything. That's okay. It's really Okay. But friends, what, know what hills to die on and know where it's okay to agree to disagree. Paul, I think a lot of this chapter three, this doctrine, we see the doctrines of salvation in here. A lot of this is essential doctrine in verses one through three through seven. These are great places to start. But a prime example is this. If we spend all our time in a chat, internet chat room or if we spend all our time in a coffee shop debating free will and the predestination of man, and we aren't actually going out and telling people about Jesus, we're getting it wrong and we're missing the mark. John Wesley and George Whitfield, two great prominent theologians, tens of thousands of people came to know the Lord through their preaching, teaching, hymn writing, Charles Wesley. They differ very much on predestination and the free will of man. Calvinism versus Arminianism. We're not going to go into details of that. That might bore some of you. But they were friends. And God used them both significantly. Because here's the reality. The Bible talks very clearly about predestination, chosen. The Bible talks about very clearly about we must choose to believe. Yes, we are chosen. Yes, we must choose to believe. How it all exactly works out, man, I can't wait to get to heaven and ask God about that, right? It works together in ways that I can't understand in my finite mind, the infinite wisdom of God, Deuteronomy 29, 29. It talks about the reality that God has secret things that he has chosen in his own wisdom not to reveal to us. And he has revealed certain things to us. So what we must do, as opposed to sitting around talking, neither of those positions about how man comes to know Lord and Savior and man's role and God's role in that should stop us from doing what is crystal clear in the text, which is what? Make disciples. Share our faith boldly and trust God with it. It should not change how we live. But man, we can get distracted, right? 
And then we can also form dissension. Oh, my brother thinks differently. And all of a sudden what happens is it stops being about Jesus and becomes about who? Me, because it's about my pride. And you might be talking about, I'm having this discussion about God or the Bible, but really at its core, you want to win. Friends, one of the greatest distractions in life is when we move from magnifying to winning, the pursuit of that. Where in your life, in your conversations, ask yourself, am I seeking to win this conversation or am I seeking to magnify Christ in this conversation? Is it, is it con- not just the content of the conversation, but how I'm having the conversation and how I feel about other people in the conversation? Is it exalting Christ and is it edifying? And does it help accomplishing the mission? We're gospel debating, we have to be very, very careful. I mean, Paul teaches that right here. He says, avoid foolish controversies and quarrels about the law because they're unprofitable. Because Jesus isn't at the center. Don't be me in college. I said that before. I found out very, very quickly that I wanted to win the argument more than I wanted to magnify Christ. Because I made it about me. Don't be me. And I can slip still there, right? I can. My pride flares up, but humility carries the day. We need to have the heart of humility that seeks to exalt God continually. Where and what discussions do you need to avoid? Where do you need to leave? Or how do I avoid them? Can I tell you this? Walk away. Log off of social media. Be slow to speak, quick to listen to even those that disagree with you, right? And slow to become angry. God can take care of himself, right? We don't need to be God's defender. We are called to be God's ambassador. That in everything we do and say, we are to do it with love. So if you are not communicating with love, and if you don't have a heart of love for the other person, we should probably check our own heart before we worry about somebody else's heart, because we are sinning. Right? And if we've been doing that, we need to repent. People are going to think differently than you and still love Jesus. They're going to vote differently than you and still love Jesus. They're going to want different pursuits and different priorities and how to spend money, how to do this, and still love Jesus, right? Everybody doesn't have to do it your way, but we should all be pursuing God's way. That's why we need to pray. Be generous. It's like everything, you know, growing up as a kid, learned this from Bambi, from Thumper's mom. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Where have you got distracted from the mission of God and gotten stuck in quarrels about God that really become more about you than God? Second distraction that Paul lists here is this divisive people. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it's in here and it's important. 10 and verses 10 and 11. As for the person who stirs up the vision after warning him once or twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. This has a lot of aspects of church discipline in it. At the heart of church discipline is a heart of discipleship. And at the heart of discipleship is a goal of restoration. And everything that we do, even church discipline, is to be done in love. Matthew 18 lays out the pathway for church discipline. You sort of see it alluded to it here. Once, twice, three strikes. Not strikes, but go to him, Matthew 18. Go to the person one-on-one if you, there's an issue. Then if that doesn't work, bring some other people. And the heart of it always is, is that God would bring the other person back to repentance. Bring for witness. If that doesn't work, step three, bring it before the, the church. In our, in our context, bring it before the elder board. 
and allow us to work and pray and process. And divisive here is this. Divisive is not a difference of opinion. Divisiveness is someone who is walking around blatantly teaching false doctrines with the goal of turning the church upside down, turning the church against their leaders. They're gossiping, they're spreading rumors. They're actively and intentionally working against the, the, what God wants and they are unrepentant about it. That's divisive. And the church is very, very clear. As shepherds, we are called to protect the flock of God. So loving someone does not mean not having boundaries. But it's always choosing to pray for them, pray for the Lord about them, and follow the Holy Spirit's leading in them. So don't waste your time with hard-hearted, divisive people. But remember the mission. Look for soft-hearted people, tender-hearted people where God is working, always loving God. Because I am saved by God's grace personally. Remember that those who have chosen, who have believed, that's meaning in verse eight, that you were saved by God's grace personally, now have the privilege and the responsibility to display God's grace faithfully. Paul in this text, and, and he says, starts off in verse one in chapter three, he says, remind them. He's reminding us of three things in chapter three. He wants us to remember this. He wants us to remember our redeemer, Jesus he wants us to remember, number two, our redemption, that we, who we were before God and who God has made us to be through the work of his son, Jesus Christ, and through God, the Holy Spirit. And number three, he wants us to remember our responsibility to do good works, to live out the gospel. We have a new goal and commission to live as gospel ambassadors. Remember who you represent. I don't know about you, but I'm a big sports fan, shocker, I know. I'm excited about the World Cup coming up, right? Anybody else, right? So many people made the World, U.S. World Cup team, and they posted on social media. They're like, and they're, I'm, I've worked my whole life for this, and I'm so ex- excited to put on the jersey and the Stars and Stripes and to stand and listen to the Star Spangled Banner and go compete for my country. In the same ways, we should have that same attitude about Jesus. I'm so thankful for what God has done for me, and I get to embrace and put on this new Christ-likeness the jersey of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of Christ, and now to accomplish my mission of living out the good works so that others might come into relationship with him. I am saved by God's grace personally to display God's grace faithfully. The second decision of the devoted is this that we need to make. I will give my best to Christ I will give my best to Christ. So friends, where have you drifted by, from distractions? Where are you distracted from Christ by your busyness, by your work, by discussions that God is calling you back? And friends, not just to come back, but then to give your best to Christ. Paul lays out in verses 12 through 15, he, he drops a bunch of different people here. The reality is that Jesus has saved us and has a role for each one of us and to build his church. That's amazing, right? That the, mo- that the God of the universe has chosen you and I to be his ambassadors. Look at your neighbor right now and say, you have an important role to play. Now say it again like you really believe it, right? You do. God chose you. And whether you're the, the pinky toe, the elbow, the right eye, I don't know the pectoral muscle, I don't know what it is. In the body of Christ, you have a distinct role to play and it's vitally important. 
Whether you're in kids' ministry, whether you're on the worship team, whether you're opening a door, whether you're uh, bringing a food to someone in need, whether you're uh, standing behind the pulpit and preach, whether you lead in a small group, host in a small group, all of these are vital roles to play in the building of God's church. And that's what Paul is saying right here. Look at how he describes all these people and roles. He's saying, when I send Artemis, we don't know anything really about Artemis. And then he says, or Tychicus. He said, it could be either one. We know a lot more about Tychicus. Uh, Tychicus was a man who was a, the, the, we see, the travel companion of Paul, a faithful servant of God. He carried Paul's letter to a church. He was with Paul in prison. And now he's potentially being called to lead the church of God in Crete. And then he continues, right? He says, I, I do your best to speed Zenus, the lawyer. God even wants to use a lawyer. Okay, insert your own joke here, right? Okay. All are welcome, okay? Apollo, and then Apollos on their way. We know a lot about Apollos, and God used him. He was a prominent evangelist. He was used significantly in the, in the life of the church at Corinth. He most likely might have been an elder there. We don't know for sure, but it would make sense if you read the book of Corinthians. Um, he's continuing to work in a huge way. He's got a role for you, different seasons, different times. He's like, Titus, don't, don't, don't anchor in your role at Crete. Get ready to come help me over here. Now, how many of you would like to, you know, you're like, oh, the pastor is all that. Like, Titus is a pastor. Well, give up your pastoral role to come be a special assistant over here, right? Some people, that might feel like a demotion. Titus is like, I'll do whatever it takes for the gospel to advance. Whatever country, whatever place, whatever bandwidth, whatever nation, wherever you need me, whatever role you need to be filled, different seasons, different roles, different times, same mission, same God, amen? Are you willing to openly wholeheartedly do your best and embrace it. Like Paul says that twice. Verse 12, do your best. When I said Artemis or Tychicus, do your best to come to me. Verse 13, do your best to speed Zenus. Don't be perfect. You don't have to be perfect, but be pursuing to do your best because God, again, worship, overflow of a heart of worship, deserves our best as a heart of worship, right? We go on mission as an overflow of worship because of what God has done for us and as an act of worship. Adoring God 24-7, it's a heart posture of worship that leads to the humility that goes, if you want me to be the lead pastor at the church in Crete, I'll do it. If you want me to leave that and come to you and hang out with you in the winter, I'll do it. You want me to carry a letter? I'll do it. You want me to hang out with you in jail? I'll do it. You want me to hold babies? I'll do it, right? You want me to fold bulletins? I'll do it. And man, we've been blessed with the church of people with hearts like that. Praise God, thank you. It's such a privilege to serve alongside you. But is that you right now? Or are there places that you are unwilling to serve that you think might be beneath you? Or maybe you think aren't for you or that you don't have the bandwidth to do? Well, I think God's word has a little something to say about that. Don't just look at the people, look at the places. You'll see the map behind me. These places that Paul is listing are multiple continents and multiple countries. Nicopolis was on a different, it creates an island. Nicopolis is on the southwest coast of Greece. Paul is writing most likely from Rome. Different countries, different continents, different cities, one mission, one God. Sometimes God calls you to stay when you want, you want to go. Sometimes God calls you to go when you want to stay. Are you willing to be faithful? Are you willing to lay down what you want and ask God what he wants? Are you willing to pray the prayer, God, here I am, send me, as opposed to honestly, if we're honest, here I am, God, but please send somebody else. 
to my coworker, to my neighbor. We're going to launch in two weeks a Christmas series called Christmas in the Neighborhood. I can't wait. With a heartbeat to unleash each of you as God's gospel ambassadors to do the good works that Paul was calling us to do, that the Holy Spirit is calling us to do in Titus in your neighborhoods. Buckle up, right? We're going to pray that God would work in a huge way to see revival and to see restoration and redemption. More details to come. But we work out of our identity in Christ. We don't work for our identity in Christ. Here, Paul lists companions, couriers, cellmates, church pastors, helpers. Just asking them to do your best. That's all God is asking of you, to do your best. Not in your own strength, but the strength of the gospel of God and the grace of God. Are you giving your best to God out of a heart of worship? Are you giving your best financially to God? Seriously, are you giving your best financially? Are you giving your best energy? Are you giving your best time? Are you giving your best resources? Is there anything that you are holding back from God off limits? And God, that because that's not giving your best, right? That's like, this is mine. The heart of a disciple is the heart of a steward. We work out of our identity. Who, we, who are we in Christ? Three, three aspects of our identity in Christ. The position that we have, the heart posture that we have leads to the pursuits. Paul, Paul lays them out quickly in chapter one. He said, I am a son of God. Verse four, grace and peace from God, the father of Jesus Christ. God's our father, I'm the son. He then, Paul describes himself as a servant in verse one of chapter one, a doulos. Choosing to actively surrender. And, and then he also describes himself as a steward in verses three and seven. A steward means I'm not an owner, that my car is not my own, my home is not my own, my bank account is not my own, my job isn't my own, my time isn't my own. It's all to be used to advance the kingdom of God and going, God, what would you have me do? Do you want me to take the job or not? Do you want me to stay or do you want me to go? And even if the world tells me to go, but you're calling me to stay, I will stay. If my flesh says I can't do that, I will tr- but you're calling me to that, I will trust you in it. Because the heart of one who gives their best to God out of a heart of worship for God is one that realizes it's not really even about you. God's calling you to give him your availability and he will give you the ability. It's not what you can't do or think you can't do, right? It's what God can do and what God will do, amen? God does not call the equipped often. He equips the called, as has been said many times. Moses didn't think he could go to Egypt because he couldn't talk, he thought. But God... Gideon didn't think he could lead the army of God. He thought he was, I am the least of the least of the least. You sure you're at the right address? Uh-huh. Mary's like, how am I going to have this baby? I'm a virgin. But God. Over and over and over. Why? Because God wants to show off. It's not about, he wants to use you to point back to himself, right? So that others might see in our inadequacy, God's adequacy. Thank you for your heart. Doing my best, giving my best means open, open ears to hear whatever God is saying, an open heart to respond to however God is leading, and an open hands to act wherever God is asking. Is your heart open to whatever God is asking right now? Whatever he's asking, whether you think you can do it or not? 
Is your heart open to however he's leading? Is your bank account open? Is your calendar open? And it's a process. Verse 14, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. I get it. It's a process because it's counter to our flesh. It's a process. It's our sanctification discipleship journey. We don't all roll out of bed and go, I love Jesus. Here's my tithe money, right? I didn't. I had, God had to wrestle it, open, my hands open, my heart open. I don't have the words to speak to my neighbor. The Holy the Scripture says the Holy Spirit will give you the words. It's a process. And it helps meet cases of urgently need so that we are not just, we are fruitful and not unfruitful. Where is God asking you to step up and where is he asking you to step out today in faith? Maybe it's to embrace a role in a ministry team. Maybe it's to give more to God of your financial resources. Maybe it's to open your home to a neighbor. Maybe it's to go have a conversation at work. Maybe it's to pray for someone this week when you don't really want to. Maybe it's to seek forgiveness. Maybe it's to be willing to serve in areas that you weren't willing to serve before. Where is God calling you this morning? Maybe, I don't know. But I'm just so thankful for you. I've seen you guys step up and step out so much in these last few weeks and God is moving. But here's the heart of worship. If you go, God is calling me, but my schedule's too busy, that means that God is a higher priority. I will change my schedule to do what God wants me to do, right? God's calling me to give, but I don't have resources. I will reallocate. I will not go out to eat this week so that I can give to Operation Christmas Child, so that I can give to the neighbor down the street in need, so that I can give to the church or whatever it is. I'm willing to change my life because God has changed my life. I'm willing to give up control and surrender control of my life because God has transformed me and I no longer live, but it's he that lives in me and through me. Where are you willing to change that you maybe have been withholding today? Are you devoted today to your Messiah? Are you devoted to the message, the gospel message? And are you devoted to the mission I want to close with a story. It's a story about my friend Mark and me. Eight years ago, fall of 2014, August of 2014, Ann and I and three of our kids at the time, Ethan wasn't alive yet, he would be soon, moved to Chicago for four months to be in a training center to, to be trained to plant this church. It was at a very difficult season in our life. And it's not easy, and some of you in the military do this all the time, and you move, you move all the time. We move like four or five times in the course of a year with young kids, cross-country. Mark Abatacola ran the training center. And Mark was an Air Force, um, retired Air Force, had worked in the airline industry, ran the Christian school there, a big Christian school there, was a pastor there at a big church. And for that year, by God's grace, ran our training center. Me and myself and 15 other hot shots or so we thought, came running, limping, wandering into that training center class, seeking to plant a church and seeking to honor God. And by God's grace, Mark put up with all of us. Mark loved us and he mentored us and he pointed us to Jesus. There was a distinct moment that I remember and and I had a lot of anxiety at the time, a lot of worry, a lot of difficulty, a lot of self-doubt about what we were doing and the cost was very clear that it would be very, very high to plant this church. And frankly, I wanted to quit. I wanted to stop. 
the cost was too much for me, for my family. And I walked into Mart's office one time after a pressure point was reached and I just began, I broke down in tears, snot flying, all the things. And Mark just looked at me and he prayed for me. And he looked at me and he said, Dan, has God called you to this? I want to quit, but yes. He says, okay. And he will be with you in this. And you can't quit. Can't, but I, but, but, but no. You need to trust that God will glorify himself in it because he will as you give your, all he's asking is you give your best. No matter, nobody knows what will happen. But, 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 Dan, but God. And we prayed some more and, and okay. And by the grace of God, Mark had every reason to not be devoted. There was a lot of stuff happening. He could have been easily distracted from the work, but he was able to block it out. And he poured himself into the 16 of us in ways that the impact of which I'm still feeling and, and our church is feeling today. We're here today because of Mark Abadakola. And he focused on the good work of the gospel. He was devoted to that. Fast forward to July of 2017. Mark, um, I got him, we were July 4th. We were vacationing in, in, in North Carolina. And um, I got a message. My phone began to blow up that, that Mark, who was in his early 50s at the time, vacationing with his family in Wisconsin, had suffered a heart attack while kayaking with his wife. Long story short, Mark went to be the Lord. I went to his funeral a couple of days later in Chicago. And um, it was a beautiful thing. But they passed out these things that I keep in my Bible right now. And on, it, on the front of it was Mark's face and his life verse, which is to enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter it by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. The way, the pursuit of the godly life, godly devotion is not the easy way. It's not. There will be a cost that will be need, you will need to pay but it is worth it because it is God's way, amen? And it is the best way. On the inside of the card, what would Mark want? His wife wrote this, who's a dear friend and she's a, God uses her in big ways. Mark would want these three things for all of you. To love Jesus with all your heart like he did. Number two, to love every part of the Bible, even the parts you don't understand like he did. And number three, help build the church somewhere somehow here on earth with all that you have, just like he did. Mark was separate, born separated from God because of his sin. When he was still a boy, he trusted Jesus as his savior. This fixed his relationship with God. He recommitted his life to the Lord, standing in the desert in the Middle East during the Gulf War. When he did wrong, he asked for forgiveness and he read, he read his Bible every single day. Love Jesus with all your heart, love the, every part of the Bible and help build the church somewhere, somehow. The seasons will change. The roles will change. The mission never changes. Friends, today, will you give your life, number one, to the Lord? And number two, will you give your life to building the church of the Lord? With all that you have, the cost is great. It will cost you most everything. It will cost you everything. Jesus says, count the cost. And when you count the cost, you will find that the reward far outweighs the cost. Amen? Verse 7 of chapter 3, that you will become an heir of God 
and that you will have the eternal hope that only comes through Jesus Christ. We give our life to godly devotion for God and we give our best to God and we don't get distracted from God because he gave his best for us. People are worth it. They're worth their money. They're worth the time. They're worth the headache. People are messy. Wherever people are, there are going to be problems, right? Because we're all problem people in our own way. (laughs) Praise God, we're all in need of a Savior, and his name is Jesus. Today, will you choose to magnify the Lord by giving your life wholeheartedly to the Lord? Where have you been holding back? Chris is going to continue to pray. I just want you to take 30 seconds and ask the Lord, God, reveal in my heart what I've been holding back. Give me the strength to step up and to step out and to do my best, maybe in roles or areas that I don't think I'm adequate for. And give me the passion, the focus, the desire to pursue you and to pursue your mission with all that I am. Would you ask the Lord to reveal in your heart right now areas that maybe you've been holding back from God or to give you the strength to step up or to step out and to do something that you know God's been asking you to do, but maybe you've been holding back to this moment because the fear has distracted you or kept you or the anxiety or the worry or the whatever. The cost is too high. God will provide, I promise you. God is with you and so are we. So I'll close this time of prayer and then we will finish in worship. God, we love you and I just ask for your forgiveness for the times that I don't give my best to you or probably more often than I want to admit, God. But in a heart of remembering that you gave your best for us and for me, God, help me from this day forward to choose daily to give my best for you. God, that I am a personal recipient of the gospel of your grace. And I carry with me the privilege and responsibility to daily display that gospel of grace. Give me the eyes to see those that are around me with that same grace-filled lens with which you first saw me. God, help me to realign my finances so that I can give more generously. Help me to realign my time so that I can serve you more diligently. Forgive me for being selfish in so many areas, God. Father, help us to worship you by giving you our best in every area, to avoid distractions from you and to give our best to you because you're worthy of it all and you're worth it all, God. Give us discernment and give us devotion, God. God, we love you and we adore you and we magnify you. It's all about you, Jesus Christ. Thank you for saving us and thank you for sending us. In your mighty name we pray, Jesus, amen.